y'all. This is the Marty Smith's America Podcast, Volume 22. Awesome show for you guys this week. We're mooching a little bit from the Marty and McGee Talking Season program that aired last Friday on SEC Network. We had the tremendous opportunity during SEC Media Days over that four-day span to interview every single one of the 14 coaches in the Southeastern Conference about life and love and leadership and who they are and why they are who they are, what they're passionate about, their leadership tendencies and principles, all of it, everything but football, basically. And they were so enlightening and so interesting. And today on the podcast, we are taking those conversations with Alabama head coach Nick Saban and Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn uh, in full, the entire conversations, which is wonderful because only portions of those conversations made their way to our hour-long Marty and McGee talking season program on television. That's one reason I love this platform is we can flush those interviews out and let you guys hear them in their entirety. So that's what you get this week, Nick Saban and Gus Malzahn. But before we get to the coaches that engage in the Iron Bowl every year, I want to talk to you guys about Dollar Shave Club. No matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have amazing shower stuff, hair styling products. Lord knows I need those. Got to keep this faux hawk on point. Toothbrushes and toothpaste. And, of course, razors and shave supplies. Look, man, my favorite Dollar Shave Club product is their shave butter. I loved it so much. I got a little sample. Because they are a sponsor of the show, they'll send me some samples of their products to take on the road with me, which is appreciated. I'm in hotels all the time. They make it really easy for me to get something that resembles presentable for America when I get in high definition. HD is not your friend, guys. Dollar Shave Club enables me to get something that resembles presentable. That's how I get ready. I use Dollar Shave Club products. From their amber and lavender body washes to that shave butter that I discussed, those are the products that I use to make sure that I'm ready for work every day. But you're not me. You have your own way to get ready. You might shave your whole body to get ready for a bike race. Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shave butter can help. You might do your hair to get ready for your soccer match. Boogies by Dollar Shave Club can help you get your style perfect. The thing is, no matter what you do to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need. And right now, you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. Those starter sets I discussed that they send me, which I take on the road. And by the way, you can get them through airport security too. They're, they're travel size. But you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash smith. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash smith to pick your own Dollar Shave Club starter set for just $5. After your starter set, products ship at regular price. And make sure you check out their new video, too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash smith, dollarshaveclub.com slash smith. Do it now to make sure you're ready to take on the day. Now, here's Nick Saban on the Marty Smith America podcast. Great to see you, brother. Always great to see you. Yes, sir. Hang out. Only guy I've ever kicked out of our... Noontime basketball. <laughs> I didn't even get. Y'all only got a few was, shots up. It, but it wasn't. It wasn't your ability to play. It was the image that you were creating for the league. I mean, we try to promote a brand and a standard <laughs> in our league that just. I just don't mean that to was do not a standard. No, I bring down the entire league's uh, I don't credibility. Know what, I don't know what that standard was, but it was not the right standard. So bear with me on this a minute. All right. I feel like uh, as a writer, okay. It takes a writer a while to find his voice. And I feel like that place is where that person is comfortable but not complacent. So if you equate that to coaching, when do you think that moment was for you where you were comfortable in your philosophy? I know you're never going to be complacent. But where was that moment for you, you think? You know, I don't really think I've ever gotten totally comfortable with that because I think the game has changed dramatically through the years. Uh, I think that people who aren't flexible and don't listen to other people and try to improve the system that you have. And if you just look at how we played on offense with the very, the different quarterbacks that we've had, Greg, AJ McCarron, Blake Sims, 
uh, Jake Coker. I mean, just go through them, and the philosophy has never changed, but how we played offense completely changed mm-hmm. uh, because we did it for the quarterback. And when I thought no huddle was absolutely absurd, now we're a no huddle team. All right, so we're constantly evolving. We're constantly changing. Uh, and I think that if you're not willing to do that, you know, you're, you're destined to get really behind in terms of uh, what you might be able to accomplish. What made you willing to do that? I, I think it's important to be flexible. I, I even see these baseball pitchers on TV. You know, they throw the ball 99 miles an hour, but if they don't have a second pitch, they eventually hit them out of the park. All right, so everybody can adjust to one speed. You know, you have to be able to change and adapt and be willing to be a little bit more diverse in terms of the things that you do and the the adjustments that you're willing to make relative to the players that you have. So and and the coaches that you have. If you ask coaches to do things that they're not geared up to do, they they're not going to be successful because everybody thinks everybody's going to be comfortable doing what they know. We know about the process, and we've both been to your practices. What was a practice like with Big Nick and the Pop Warner Black Diamonds on that field there by the coal mines? Was it was would I've recognized that if I walked out there and saw you guys out there with him versus what I see in Tuscaloosa? Well, we only had two coaches back in that day, right? <laughs> and we were all getting in the huddle, and we we're all getting our butt chewed out when we got in the huddle. And that's one thing about no huddle that you take that aspect of it. You can't get to the guy and they're running the next play. So unless you're willing to get run over, you got to do it later. Uh, But anyway, I I do think there was some similarities, though. Some things that I learned was, you know, discipline was very important. Uh, Repetition and execution was very important. We were always a very well-conditioned team. Uh, We always had, you know, toughness, people being accountable, you know, not making mental mistakes. I mean, those things were really, really big. And when it comes right down to it right now, when I do the good, bad, and ugly tape for our team, whether we won or lost, it, it's the same stuff. It, did we execute? All right, were we fundamental? Did we block and tackle well? Did we have the discipline? Did we get unnecessary penalties? Did we make unnecessary mental errors that cost us in games? I mean, it's the same thing. If you could go back now and talk to 12-year-old Nick in Monongah, West Virginia, what would you tell him about the life you've built? Well, I I don't think that when I was 12 years old, I had any idea. You know, when I remember back to when I was a kid, you wanted to be able to have enough success in life to get a double-wide trailer yep. on your own lot. I mean, that's the truth. That, that, that was the standard for, for that's, that's what successful people did. And um, I, I think the fact that I went away to college... And look, I love where I came from. I love the people. I love my home. The values that I learned there were couldn't have been better any place else. But when I went away to college, I saw that there was a lot more that you could do, uh, and there were a lot greater opportunities uh, in terms of creating a different lifestyle. And um, I didn't want to go away to college. My dad made me go away to college. He he never gave me a choice. I wanted to stay home and go to college somewhere close to home. And he would not allow that to happen because the very thing we're talking about, he wanted me to see more. Awesome. You hear your dad's voice all the time? I mean, everything you do, what I've read about him, what you and I have talked about him, Big Nick, it just seems like he's always there. Is he not? Always there. But the biggest one that he was toughest on was how you treated other people. The last time I got the belt, it was because I disrespected the hobo that he used to give toffee to every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning for getting on me about the game we lost the night before. It was a basketball game or something. And I said something smart to him, and I was changing the tire, and I got whacked. I said, don't you ever disrespect someone older than you. Yes, sir. So that was the big thing, compassion for other people and how you treated other people and how you made them feel. And I still think that's really important today and has helped me be successful. What do you remember that, about that conversation you had with Coach Don James at Kent State when he basically recruited you to come be a part of his staff? All I remember is, you know, when you got called to Coach James's office, it usually wasn't good. Uh, so, and, and I had finished my playing career. We had just gone to the Tangerine Bowl, and Freddie Solomon was the quarterback, and we lost the game. It was a close game, but we lost. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm done with this, man. So, and I was going to play baseball. So Coach James calls me in and said, I want you to be a graduate assistant. And I said, Coach, I don't want to go to graduate school, and I don't want to be a coach. 
So why would I be a graduate assistant? And he said, I not only want you to be a graduate assistant, I want you to be here in the spring because we have a new secondary coach, Ron Lynn, who eventually became a coordinator in the NFL because my secondary coach, Mari Bybant, retired. So I said, Coach, that means I can't play baseball. And he said, you're not going to the major leagues in baseball. Why would you even want <laughs> He said, it's time for you to think about what you're going to do next in your life. And I really didn't want to do it, but he said, your wife's got another year of school, so you can't go take a job someplace. So, I mean, he had a really compelling argument like for it. me being a graduate assistant. And you know what? I didn't want to do that, and I did it, and I loved it. And, you know, that, that's a great sort of lesson for a lot of young people who – think they know what they want to do and somebody makes a suggestion to them to try something and they don't want to try it i would suggest that you try it you might like it uh and this i've never felt like i've gone to work i've been doing this for 40 some years now and there's not the first day that i feel like when i get up in the morning oh man i gotta go to work today never never and you know that's a blessing if you can do that so why'd you say yes to him because it was who he was and I couldn't say no to him. And he, but he was a great mentor, and I had a tremendous amount of respect for him. And he probably is one of the five people that had the greatest impact on my life and my future besides my parents. And I have the utmost tremendous respect for him and everything that he accomplished and everything that he did. He's truly one of the great coaches in our game that probably doesn't get recognized as much as he should. You, you say that you've never not wanted to go to work in the morning. But at least from out here, it looks like you have enjoyed yourself more in recent years. Is that is that fair? Do you enjoy the moments now more than you did when you were younger? And the next step was just the next step? I, I think I have a little more fun now. Um, I still don't like to lose. I still, you know, hate losing. Um, but I think I have more fun with the players. I think I have more better relationships with the people that I work with. And, and I think that's something that I've learned to do. Uh, to trust a little more, to give a little bit more, to um, understand that people are really trying to please you and do what you want and uh, have a better feeling about that. But I still look at it, and when I don't see what I should see, uh, and it's not going the way I think it should go, uh, I'm, I'm going to confront that situation and make sure that the standard is what it needs to be and not going to let that allow that to slip. You've also placed quite an emphasis on philanthropy over the past couple of years, you and Miss Terry with Nick's kids. How has the work there impacted your worldview? Well, I, I think that's something that gives me the best feeling. Uh, I, I don't think you get a better feeling than when you do something to help somebody else. Uh, I think caring about other people, uh, I think um, being able to help other folks be successful or have a better chance to be successful or create an opportunity where they can be successful is uh, something that uh, gives you great positive self-gratification. And we're just happy to be able to give back. I mean, Terry and I were both first-generation going to college people. So to create first-generation scholarships, uh, to build houses for needy people, to do the school with the juvenile detention center where people who were juvenile in the juvenile detention center had to graduate from college and could develop a welding career and get a job when they left. So they had some hope and they had some future. I would like to see a lot more people do things like that that would help others. I think it would make uh, our society better and uh, it gives people hope and um we, we, we want to continue to do that as much as we can in the future. Now, we would be remiss as reporters if we didn't ask you about the great controversy surrounding your program. And I'm not talking about the quarterbacks. Did your boat run out of gas or did the fuel pump break? The fuel pump went out. Okay. But well, I have benefited is... from the from the running out of gas. I, I've got you least, got a gas sponsorship now? I, I, no, I got at least 100 <laughs> gas cans from various people you know, all over the country. Good Samaritans. So if you need a gas can, I got one, I, and I'll be glad to send it to you. Uh, but, you know, we always have fun with the players about three times a year on the lake, and this was my first time out this year in a new boat. I get a new boat every year, and we go out. I'm assuming that it has gas in it, which it did, but... As soon as we were gone 10 minutes, it just died. It just stopped, exactly like when you run out of gas. So I said to the players, I said, we must have run out of gas, man. It's a new boat. Maybe nobody put gas in it. Well, the mechanic comes, and he said, 
we got a full tank, man. The fuel pump went out. But the cat was already out. <laughs> All right, so it was hard to stop Damn that. social media. <laughs> but the best one I got, and I appreciate this, because one of my best years in coaching was at the U.S. at the Naval Academy. You know, playing in the Army-Navy game was a great experience. But I got a, a picture, a text, of the largest battleship in the Navy. And, and the player says, hey, coach, we got your back. We'll come pick you up whenever you need. <laughs> That's awesome. That was pretty good. That's fantastic. How would you rate your performance in the blind side? Well, it was it was authentic. That's what that's how I would write. You know, I mean, I I don't know if I've ever told the story publicly about that, but you know, they gave me a script. You know, to to do. Uh, first of all, I didn't want to be in it because I was a coach at Alabama, and this all occurred when I was at LSU. And Fred Smith at FedEx talked me into doing it. Uh, and, and it was the right thing to do, and I'm glad I did do it. But um, they, they they give me a script. The director gives me a script, and I said, hey, man, I said, I did this. You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I did this. I went to the front door. You know, I talked to the lady about her violences. I, I sat in the room and talked to the, the kid and the, and the, and the prospect. I, I said, let me just do what I do. You know, <laughs> let me do it the way I did it. And if you don't like it, then I'll, I'll use your script. So there was no acting involved. It was strictly a recruiting stop. Did you even look at the script? Never looked at it. Just did completely, you know, and Sandra Bullock and Tim McGraw were great. They were very helpful. Uh, but the thing I didn't realize is how much goes into making a movie. You know, to make one scene, you've got to do it like four or five times because of all the different camera angles and, and all that. So it was a very interesting experience and... Uh, I think uh, a, a great movie that a lot of people really enjoyed. All right. We have asked this this question of every coach that sat in that chair today, and this is very important. And, Marty, y'all are tight, so I'm going to let you ask this question. All right, Coach, this is an important one now. Biscuits or cornbread? Biscuits with gravy or just biscuits? Biscuits. Gravy's that's extravagant. We're not doing extravagant. I'd have to take the biscuits. Okay. But to find good cornbread is, is a lot more difficult circumstance. You can find a biscuit anywhere. Yeah. All right. So I think that's probably the reason that I said biscuits. Not that the cornbread is not something that I like just as much, but where are you going to find it? Right. It's like recruiting. It's like recruiting. You, you can find it. You can find any one star somewhere. <laughs> you you got to find five star, star cornbread. cornbread you gotta anywhere. Why, why are you looking at Marty when you say that? <laughs> This is, this is four-star cornbread right here, Coach. That's what I'm looking at. I'm a first-team All-American when it comes to cornbread. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate, appreciate you, man. Yes, Thank sir. You. Y'all, that's the greatest of all time. That is the greatest college football coach ever. And to have that time, spend that time with him, it just fills up my tank. I always say that anytime I've had the opportunity to hang out with Coach Saban in Tuscaloosa, and I've been afforded that opportunity more than most. And I realize uh, what a, an amazing blessing that is to learn and to get his insight and his perspective. It's just awesome. I learn every time that I talk to Coach Saban. And you know what else I love? I love that he loves to bust my tail. I love to make him laugh. It's funny. Now, let's head across the state and hang out with his rival, with the Auburn Tigers, Gus Malzahn. By the way, Coach Malzahn had on some amazing socks that day. They had big old Tigers on them. I thought they might have big old Eagles on them, big old war damn Eagle on there. Here's Gus Malzahn on the Marty Smith America podcast. All right, Coach, we're going to start in Israel. Yeah. I understand yeah. that you and your wife just got back. Yeah. What was the onus of you going, and what did you learn? Yeah, Christy's been wanting to go about the last five years, and it's our 30th wedding anniversary, and the fact that July was a dead period almost the whole month for the first time. You know, I got away for nine days. And just an unbelievable experience, and really wish I'd have done it when I was younger. It was uh, it was really something. What did you learn? What did you see? Uh, you know, just... Uh, it really what stood out to me is the Bible's real. Everything you read in the Bible, you see it for yourself, and it's just very impactful. And what's striking, too, is like we think something here in the United States, yeah. if it's if it's 40 years old, it's yeah. old. Yeah. And that's they just laugh. That's, that, you know, that, that's like, that something, that's like yeah. something sitting on the it, table it, at yeah, the house. Yeah, you're exactly right. The, the history, and there's so much history that everything almost ran together. But it was just uh, really unbelievable and just a... Uh, 
probably the best trip I ever took, probably times 10. And uh, I'd encourage everybody, if they hadn't went, to at least do it once. What are you bringing home that you can impart upon your uh, players and yeah, program? Yeah, just uh, a, a new attitude of uh, appreciation of, of being a Christian man. That's probably the biggest thing that, that I brought home. That's cool. Yeah. C- can you disconnect? Like when you take a trip like that, nine days yeah. and it's a dead period, yeah. wherever, can you, like I, it takes me on vacation. Yeah. If We have to do a nine-day vacation because it takes me four days to, to yeah. gear down and tell yeah. everybody to quit calling. Yeah, it's exactly right. So, you know, nine days, that's the most I've ever been gone. You know, four is usually my, my rule. But probably after about day four, I was able to at least relax a little bit. Now, you still got your phone and you're still responsible for 120 young men back home right. and everything that goes with it. But uh, but it was a, a very relaxing trip. And probably about day five, that's when I kind of flipped the switch. All right, so we're going to go from Israel to Mexico now. Yeah. Word on the street is, is that you are a Mexican food fanatic <laughs> and aficionado, yeah. aficionado and yeah. expert. What is the best Mexican food that you've ever had? Yeah, Papa Cita is my place. I mean, I go to Texas. That's the first place I'm going to eat. Um, you know, I was born in Irving, and uh, my dad lived in the Dallas Metroplex when I was growing up, and I'd always visit him on the holidays, and, you know, I love it. You go there before you go see Dad? Uh, oh, yeah. I go there before I see anybody. Yeah, we get off the plane, everybody knows that's uh, that's where we're going. We, uh, we had Chad Moore sitting in that chair just a couple of days ago, and there's always been a connection between the two of y'all. Yeah. I want to ask you a question I asked him, which is, you know, we're, we're auto racing guys. Yeah. And sometimes the short track guys, the dirt track guys, they think you're a sellout when you move to the big leagues, right? Yeah. You know, this is real racing. That ain't real yeah, racing. Yeah. Some high school guys are like that. Now, this is this is real football. Yeah. But he talked about carrying the torch for high school football coaches. And yeah. 10 minutes ago, you're coaching high school football, and yeah. now you're at Auburn. He's at Arkansas. You feel that when you walk out on the field on Saturday? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, I just we feel blessed that we've been given the opportunity. There's a lot of high school coaches around the country that are smarter than me and Chad, but we've been given that opportunity, and so we do carry that. And, uh, you know, I hope this opens the door for more uh, high school coaches given the same opportunity that we have because when you're just coaching football, the football's the same. The difference in college and high school is the media and the recruiting and everything that goes with it. But, man, there's some great high school coaches out there that just need the opportunity that me and Chad have been given. Clowns like us. That's the biggest difference yeah. between the high school sideline yeah, and the Jordan-Hare sideline. Like, and probably socks. I don't think and your socks are very nice in high school. Coach, you didn't have that suit when you were coaching <laughs> in high school. I wasn't near as cool, I'll tell you that. I mean, you're, you're thinking recruiting now, you know, so you got to you got to <laughs> – Kind of put be yourself cool. out there a little. Yeah, you got to put yourself out there a little bit. When you show up at Auburn, you're inheriting a team that didn't win a single game yeah. in the conference. How would you describe what you inherited when you walked in the door? It, it was a pretty unique situation because I'd been the coordinator there before, mm-hmm. and I was only gone for one year, so got a chance to watch them kind of from afar. They had a tough season. I recruited a lot of those guys that were there, so it was a pretty easy transition once I got back. They were familiar with me. I was familiar with them, and it was just a matter of, man, we're going to take it one game at a time. And they had an edge about them. They were embarrassed from the year before. And so it was a really easier job than than it looked from the outside. Just we had some talent. We got together. We just got better each week and, you know, came within a hair of winning the national championship. Right there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Sorry. That's a tough one. Hey, I'll stand on the sideline, man. I remember the championship. I remember the losses. You know, that's a game that, you know, I think about quite a bit. What is it about you guys? That is like this universal trait. That is a universal trait for all of you. You've been wildly successful. Yeah. But what is it about the losses that consume you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's motivating or what, but uh, but that's just kind of what comes to mind when you're close and you come up a little bit short. But, you know, I think even when I coached high school, you know, got a chance to win some state championships. But the games that we lost in the state championship game, there's one that went double overtime that I felt like I could have done a better job coaching. And I carry that with me. And most coaches, like you said, are the same way, just ways to motivate yourself. The first time I ever talked to you, you were at Arkansas State. Y'all had just beaten North Texas at North Texas. Yeah. And you were about halfway through your first college head yeah. coaching job. Yeah. What's the difference between being the guy who, hey, he'll be a great head coach in college one day yeah. and then actually having the gig? Yeah. You, you know, I tell people that, you know, high school, when you're on the field coaching as a head coach, I was a head coach for 14 years in high school. 
It's the same exact thing as college, dealing with your players, dealing with coaches on the field. The difference is, like I said, the media, the recruiting, and everything goes with it. And just the experience of the job, 2013, and I'll say this. In this league, being a head coach in 2013 at Auburn is different in 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's different. There's yeah. more to it. You know, I could do more hands-on football in 2013. Each year, the job gets a little bit bigger with everything that goes with it. So it's just kind of one of those things, experience and being able to adjust. And I think each year, I've gotten a better place with that. What are the biggest differences between 13 and 18? Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, a lot of things with staff sizes, okay, with uh, uh, expectations, with uh, the media, with recruiting. Recruiting's different than it was five years mm-hmm. ago because Twitter, social, social media, media uh, these short videos, everything is different. And each year it seems like it gets a little bit more challenging. Well, and you look more comfortable. We, were, we, were, we, wa- we watched yeah. you at the podium this morning before yeah. you came in here. And the way you handled that now versus yeah. – how you and you handled it fine three or four yeah. years ago, but you didn't look quite as intense. Yeah. You look like you were ready for that today. Do you feel that way? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, when you first get here as a first year head coach in this league, it's a whirlwind. You got your guard up now, you know, <laughs> and you're playing a lot of defense. And I think it's like anything else: the more comfortable you get, uh, the the more experience you get, and understand the big picture and everything goes with it. This gives you, you know, a, a, a better feel of comfort. Speaking of comfort, I actually asked Saban this yesterday. I feel like there's a moment as a coach or, or in any professional capacity, especially in yours, where you get to a point where you're comfortable but you're not complacent. Yeah. And then there is this, okay, I'm in the position. Yeah. When was that moment? You know, I think for us is uh – God, we were really close last year. And we're close as a program taking that next step. And, you know, we won the SEC West, which is the toughest division in college football. We were one game away from the Final Four. And and I think just from a program standpoint, that hunger to take that next step. And so we're still in the process. And it's not easy. There's a fine line between winning a championship, especially in this line, the, this league, and almost – and we're right there, and we got to find a way to do that. It doesn't matter if we got the toughest schedule in college football and we've got to play Georgia and Alabama on the road back. That doesn't matter. we got to find a way to do it, and that's just, um, you know, how we're, how we're operating right now. Does it tick you off at all that you beat both of the teams that played for the national championship yeah. Yeah. and you had to watch it on your couch? Yeah, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow. Matter of fact, I had to do TV and talk about it. That yeah, no, I saw, I saw, oh, I saw yeah. that morning. I'm like, I saw that morning. You, like, Coach, you all that's right? That's torture. Are yeah, you all right? That was, uh, that, was, uh, that was an experience. There's no doubt about that. And I'm just, uh, you know, really, you know, hoping that our players, we got a lot of guys coming back that experience that. We got our entire staff, all but one coach, experienced that. So, really hoping we can use that feeling that we had as motivation to take that next step this year. I remember talking to you on the sideline at the national championship mm-hmm. game in Tampa, mm-hmm. and the word was getting out that this kid from Baylor might be coming to town, and you couldn't really talk about it, yeah. but you were smiling awful large yeah. when, when I brought it up. Yeah. And, you know, and, yeah. and it's been we've had a year yeah. with him now. Yeah. Now you're going to give him a little more control over over being the captain on the field. What can you say about about Mr. Stidham at this point? Yeah, game? we're excited we have him. You know, to to win a championship in this league, you've got to have a great quarterback, and he's definitely a great quarterback. And then, you know, he has a year experience under his belt in this league against the best defenses in college, and uh, the way that he performed, um, he has a better understanding this year of our offense, of his teammates, of uh, Chip Lindsey, his coordinator. So, you know, we're going to turn him loose, and uh, we're excited that we have him, you know, leading our team. Is that the hardest part when you when you become the head coach is giving up a little bit of responsibility here and there? Because you're, you're, yeah. you're a draw-it-in-the-dirt yeah. play guy. You know, is it hard to hand that stuff over because you got to worry about the other things? Yeah, I think uh, early on it definitely was. And then I think you finally get to a point that you've got to be real with yourself. What's best for our team? And you've got to trust people to do their job. And you got to worry more about just offense. You got to worry about special teams. You got to worry about defense. You got to worry about field position, clock management, everything that goes with that. So, you know, each year it's been a transition. I've got a lot of confidence in Chip Lindsey. Just did a super job, uh, last year. And then, of course, Kevin Still is one of the best in the business. And so, feel great about our two coordinators. Got a lot of confidence in them and, uh, just helps me, 
you know, with the transition of being a true head coach. You noted a few moments ago about your experience in the league. Yeah. I want to know what the moment was. What was the welcome to the SEC moment? What was the welcome to the show moment? Oh, wow. There's probably been quite a few. You know, I think in this league, it's got to be your first year because you hear about oh, what's it like and, all that, and there's nothing like going through it. Right. So, you know, I don't know. The first year I was a coordinator at, uh, at Auburn and everybody talks about the Iron Bowl and it's this and that and you go, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> all you got to do is experience it one time. And it'll change you. <laughs> and so to answer your question, it was probably 2009 Iron Bowl and everything that goes with it. And after you play them, you say, okay, now I get it. What do you remember about that day? Uh, God, I remember we should have beat them. I mean, that's what I remember. <laughs> we were that close. Yeah. And um, our man McElroy took the team down. Yeah. They threw a touchdown with a minute left or something. We were just really close and everything that goes with it. And, uh, you know, being at Auburn. That's a pretty important game, and so uh, it made everything clear after that game. We've got his lip curling, dude. Well, and, and we and, got and, we got him in one of these modes. And we man. ask about Iron Bowl, and what's he do? He goes immediately to, "Well, let me tell you about when we lost." Yep. You know, that, do you remember yeah, the losses right. more than you remember the wins? It's amazing. Yeah, you isn't know, it? I don't know. I, I do remember the wins in Iron Bowl, though. Oh yeah, that one last yeah. year was just amazing. Yeah. I that was yeah. such a frenetic. It was louder. I've never been in a louder yeah. stadium. Yeah. I don't yeah. think yeah. it was yeah. just yeah. magic. Yeah. It was. Usually I don't get caught up in the crowd and all that, but, you know, in the fourth quarter when we felt like we had the game uh, in hand, it was as loud as uh, I've heard it in a long time, and it was just uh, it was a great atmosphere. Well, I was going to ask you that because you, you can be an emotional guy, yeah. and you love the game so much. Yeah. Do you give yourself a chance to stand there and go, this is the – greatest. I mean, do you, you get to experience it or do you yeah. have to wait and watch it on film? Man, it's very rare that you get a chance to uh, to do that. Obviously, we're up by two touchdowns, so probably the last minute of the game you at least kind of go there a little bit. But, you know, my experience in, in coaching is, you know, you go across the field, you shake the other coach's hand, you got a great feeling. You go in the locker room after a big win, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. And then once you head home, you flip the switch. That's behind you. You're thinking about the next game. So as far as the big wins are concerned, you really don't get to enjoy them very long until after the season. You can look back and you say, wow, that was pretty cool. So when you are at the Waffle House, yeah, because you do go there, yeah. when you're at the Waffle House, yeah. what do you order? And is that where you get just eat kind of slow to keep that drive home, the flipping the switch, nah, kind of delay that long I as you can? Know. You know, I, you know, after a big – Big win. I'll go to the ham and cheese omelet, scattered, smothered, covered, and chunked. And if it's a real big <laughs> game, I'll get a waffle. Okay. Oh, yeah. all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Iron Bowl last year, yeah. you got two waffles. Georgia, I got I got a waffle. <laughs> so, yeah, that, so that's kind of just a routine. We've got two, couple more things. What does a round of golf with you and Duffner look like? <laughs> uh, golly. He, uh, he's pretty quiet. Um, and he hits it straight every time. And you know, we'll be looking for my ball. He's not real patient looking for my ball. So uh, it, we, we play pretty quick, I'll tell you that. You go through you, at some point to you like I do and just go, you know what, uh, you're better than I am. Let's just forfeit that one. And while yeah, he knows one. that. He said, don't worry about it, man. Let's keep on go, going. So we play really quick. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a big football fan. We talk Auburn football. He likes to keep up with recruiting. And uh, he's a great guy. And, Who wears uh, you out the most? What is it, Barkley? Bo, him, who wears you Cam, out the most? Right. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, uh, any of them like wear me out, but both, uh, you know, all those guys you talked about, they love Auburn football and it's just really fun. And the big games are all there and, uh, they're in the locker room and a part of it. And, you know, Tim Cook, our CEO of Apple was our honorary head coach in the Iron Bowl. He gave the pregame speech. He knocked it dead. He, he uh, led us the fight song after it was over with Auburn. We're a family. You know, I think Bo was there and, and, uh, no, it's it's always a lot of fun to see those guys. Most important question time. It's the most important question, and we know how you feel about waffles and about uh, smothered and covered and chunks, but uh, we've asked this of every coach, and we're going to ask it of you. Biscuits or cornbread? It's going to be biscuits. I mean, I like biscuits and gravy. You know, I'm old school and all that, and every Friday morning that's what I get, you know, in game season. So Every Friday morning you eat every biscuits Friday and gravy? Every Friday morning at 7 o'clock. It's a I mean, thing. It's a thing. 7 a.m. I eat, I eat Mexican Thursday night, 
and I eat biscuits and gravy at 7 a.m. Friday morning. And the victory loaded. meal is the Waffle House, victory smothered, covered, and scattered, and chunked. <laughs> and, yeah, and a waffle on the big ones now, you know. Well, that's, that's we got to go eat. That's an outstanding three days of food <laughs> right there. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Was, Thanks, Coach. Okay. Awesome. Thank right. you, brother. Arguably the biggest rivalry in college football and maybe in sport. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Michigan and Ohio State fans, like Travis, might beg to differ, but the Iron Bowl is pretty, it's pretty thick. Uh, to break down these amazing conversations, I'm going to bring in my brother from another, from the Marty and McGee program, Ryan McGee, in the Marty Party. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty Party. I love getting them away from it all, brother. And having the opportunity to hear their perspectives on life and why they do what they do and their father's influences and all that stuff. It was just fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and we were really fortunate that, you know, we were handed this situation. And listen, we know a lot of these guys and deal with them. You know, we were very fortunate we get doors open with these guys that a lot of folks in the media don't, but we were handed this incredible advantage with the set. And it was a genius idea by the producers of the show to to not let the coaches see that outback steakhouse lobby that we were sitting in until they turned the corner. They were already mic'd up, cameras rolling, and you could just watch. You could see it, couldn't you? Where their faces would just relax, like absolutely, right. it completely disarmed yeah. them. And, and, and it, it was, was it was huge. And, and you're exactly right. It was just watching them kind of chill and hang and and we and, and talk about things that didn't you know it weren't about quarterback controversies or who's going to be your starting nose tackle or whatever it was about just whatever yeah and, why and, can't you beat this guy what yeah. you know what do you have to do this year to be to consider success all those things we we, we left that to the to the assemblage in the other room right and we got more into their personal lives and their upbringings and their philosophies and their passions and it was funny back to the set it was like walking into great wolf lodge yeah i mean we had deer heads we had horns we had the most amazing chandelier you've ever seen comprised of deer antlers and this huge marty and mcgee sign uh, that was cut out of wood by a cnc machine for you rednecks who know what that is yeah it's uh it was fascinating but I loved that we we had a conference call that McGee and I were both supposed to be on, but McGee was busy doing something else. And so I go on this conference call, and I lay out. They're like, what do you think the set should look like? I said, I think we should have American flags. I think we should have eagles. I think we should have deer heads. I think we should have uh, a Marty and McGee logo. So that was that. Well, then McGee had a subsequent call. Where he said almost precisely the yeah. same thing. They were laughing because they were like, yeah, okay, that's almost exactly what Marty just told us. Well, I expect to walk into the room on day one of SEC Media Days and see like a card table with a bunch of wires everywhere, right. a couple headsets, and one of those banners that you get down at the hop-in right. at the screen print machine. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. We got the nicest set I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was – um. And it even smelled great. Like, the, people would walk in and go, Amanda Brooks, who, who does a great job, all the PR stuff for SEC Network, and she walked in the room and she goes, this is the best smelling set I've ever been on. And it's because, like, that big sign you're talking about had just Real been wood. carved out of wood. And it was like, yeah. it, it smelled like you walked in the wood shop. It By was, the way, it where was, is that thing? Uh, I, I'm told that it has been brought to Charlotte, and uh, we'll see. Well, somebody I, I, might have a man room that in which it needs to live the rest of its life. Well, uh, my wife was out of town for almost a month when we went down to Atlanta to do that, and I kept saying, half joking, that I was going to um, I was going to hang that in our bedroom without telling her. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not do hang that. it over the I, bed. I like being married. You know, what, the the things that stood out most to me during these conversations, and so you guys know, we're going to air a series of these conversations throughout the next whatever month or whatever they are, because it gives you just such a unique perspective into who they are and why they are who they are. And I love talking to folks about their fathers. I love talking to dudes about the impacts of that their fathers had 
and that that stays with you forever, no matter what your relationship is with your dad, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, your dad is always a compass. You can always call your father when you are wayward, and he can lead you the right direction. I've had this conversation with Dale Earnhardt Jr. so many times. And to see Coach Saban get emotional about the lessons that his father taught, the way his father taught them, and that they stick with him to this minute, and that he tries to impart upon the young men he's growing into men every day. I just I love to see that impact. Yeah, it is and eternal. It, and, and it's and it's you know and and when you've had the opportunity to work on a feature story or a profile, I mean, so many that we do that you learn. That's one of the first things I go to look go to look for, which is tell me about your dad. And, and with Nick Saban, ask him about Big Nick, and with Jimbo Fisher, ask him about Big Jim. And and it's and you can see there's a there's a connection that happens almost immediately, and in Nick Saban's case, Big Nick was a hard dad, man. He was a serious man, but the reason that he was like that was because he just wanted a better world for his boy, and owned multiple little small businesses at this one intersection in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and put Nick to work, little Nick to work, yeah, and, and put little Nick to work, you know. Working at the Dairy Queen and working at the service station and changing oil and pumping gas and those things, but he just and coached his Pee Wee football team and was hard on him, but also would put his arm around him. And that's you know I think that's that's the key. The key is called being dad. Yeah, the one that motivates you, but also is willing to um, also let you know that he loves you. And and it's 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 you can see it. And that's how so many great men, you know, that starts with a great dad. Well, that's part of it. And I, I, I will full full disclosure. I say this to my son often. I mean, I'm 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 not here to be your buddy. I love you so much, and I'm always going to love you so much. But my job is to raise you up into a man who contributes, who is empathetic, who is appreciative, who is respectful, and that's not always fun and games. And obviously. You know, you, 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 you learn and you go and you develop even in that role about what works and what doesn't. And I, again, I just love the opportunity to talk to these guys about that and so much, so much else. And how another thing that I admire about high achievers and, you know, you hear both, both coach Malzon and coach Saban say this. They hate losing so much more than they love winning. Yeah. And the, the losses just eat their ass. And they forget the wins. I mean, both of these guys have had tremendous careers, wildly accomplished careers. People forget, and because Alabama won the national championship last year, people forget that Gus Malzahn and his Auburn Tigers, uh, they beat both teams that played yeah. for the national championship last year. Yep. And people forget that. And you heard him say there in the interview, it sticks in his crawl even right now. Yeah. And it's a motivator yep. for 2018. Yep. Well, and that's just, you know, the difference between the great athletes, the great coaches, all that, and the rest of us is, is that, that memory, man. You know, I, I'm always fascinated by like the great major league baseball players, Ted Williams and, and Tony Gwynn and these amazing hitters. They could remember every pitch of every at bat. But Golfers. The, the at bats they really remembered were the ones that they'd ask Ted Williams. They go, "Well, so and so so." He goes, "Yeah, well, this one time Ed Lopat is a game in June at Yankee Stadium, and he struck me out on a so and so and this and that." That they remember that. They remember that more than their 500th home run or their 3,000th hit. It's just it's and, and the same with these coaches. You just see the pain in their eyes, man. And they they'll sit there and break down a loss all day. And you can't get them to talk about a win. I had I had this exact conversation with Tiger Woods before the Masters. I don't know how golfers, and it's almost universal. It may be universal. I haven't interviewed them all. I don't know. But it seems to be every – I will say it's universal among the golfers that I've interviewed. They can tell you every shot they ever took. Yep. And I'm not kidding you. That's crazy. Every shot they've ever taken in every tournament all the way back to junior high school, yep. they will – tell you yeah it was a par three uh 89 yards to the stick 
I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Wind right. was blowing left to right, east to west, whatever. And I just marvel at it. Um, and then anyway, like we don't me, need to get off on too crazy. I, I can't tangent, remember what I have for dinner. You know, me either, yeah. man. I yeah. I can't either, and I can't remember to get milk at the store. I right. mean, I you know, Laney Laney and I put a long uh, put a laundry list. We put a uh, uh, a grocery list together every time. I will go to the grocery store with the list in my hand and oh, a yeah. pen in the other, and forget stuff. I do the same thing. No, I just, it makes me feel better actually hearing you say that. God help me, son. Well, uh, Travis, do we have a call? Words, sayings, or just a way of life? The bowl cut plus the mullet, the bullet. <laughs> this is Hillbillyisms. Yeah, howdy, y'all. This is Nick from up in Canada. I thought I'd share you a story about how I ended up wearing a chandelier one night. <laughs> me and oh, some good old boys, we were polishing off some cold ones. And one guy decided to do an Irish goodbye, except we found him. So the host of the party decides to go wake him up, wakes him up, and says, hey, we're going to keep on partying, hands him a hands him a cold beer. So host leaves, lets the, lets the guy kind of dust the cobwebs off. The guy comes out. We've got Garth Brooks or something playing. I can't really remember. And the guy comes out and just throws that can of beer right against the wall, misses my head by about two feet, Ooh. and the beer explodes upon impact. <laughs> wow. I'm sitting there going, what in the world just happened? Well, here comes Buddy, where he's dancing away the song, grabs the chandelier that is above me, and puts a swing on it. It spins out of the roof and kabam, smashes me on the head. <laughs> Next thing I know, I got my buddies all looking down at me going, hey, man, are you okay? I'm like, uh, I think so. And uh, I'm like, what the hell happened? The guy goes, well, you just wore my chandelier. And I'm looking, and I have fixtures and wires and crystals all over me. And I'm like, well, where's Buddy? What happened to him? We look out, and they have duct-tied him to a tree. And I get to inflict any kind of bodily pain I can to him. So I won't get into that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how I ended up wearing the chandelier one time. No. Oh. Thanks, guys. You I, guys have a good one. I wish you would have gotten into it. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what the aftermath was. That sounds like a tough night. He almost took a beer can to the head. Yeah. And then he wears a chandelier. Yeah. I mean, that, well, I don't, you know what? Where we come from, that's a good time. That is a good time. That's no, what you tough. call, that's what you call a small town throwdown. Right I want to know what kind of beer they were drinking. Bush Light. It was um, it was not expensive. Well, it was from Canada, was it? Maybe some like some Molson or some Labatt. It could have been, yeah. It could have been some Labatt or some Molson. That's probably Travis. You're probably right. They don't, they couldn't handle a, a domestic light and cold down here. That's water for those boys. Yeah, that's um, yeah. There's a, there's a joke there that I can't say. The three of us went drinking in Indianapolis at the 500 back in May, and we went to this little bar in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, just us in the bar, really, and. I love to drink local beers. I'll always choose whatever's local. So I'm having this nice amber beer, and the, we see these milk jugs. Yeah. These Indianapolis 500, like, old-school glass milk jugs. It's like a replica the of the, the Yeah, it looks the like the milk have. jug from Victor Lane, correct. Yeah, the chalice. And so McGee goes, what's up with the milk jugs? Yeah. Well, it was like a Miller Lite uh What's the word? It was, it was a Miller Lite yeah, promotion. I've, yeah, that's I've what got, it was. I've got it. I'm, I'm in my office right now, literally holding it in my hand. It was a Miller Lite promotion, and it was like two bucks for sixty four ounces of Miller Lite. Right. McGee's like, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. fired up. Oh yeah. I I'm think like, he went. I think McGee went too deep on the Victory Lane jug before yeah. we ever got to dinner, and he was feeling the flow and doing the bull dance. Well, it was um, it was more than I expected. And it didn't matter at that point. If you're drinking liters of it, it doesn't really matter how cheap it is. Nope. Um, hey, it'll get you, especially liter, when you haven't eaten all day and stood in the heat. Yeah, liters of fermented beverage, uh, fermented liquids, is uh, it doesn't really matter what that liquid is. And for the record, Marty, it's cold canned beer that you prefer. Yeah, I love cans. I don't like bottles. I'm not a bottle guy. I'm a can guy. I want cans. I even want cans over draft. 90% of the time. There's there. I, I won't mention it, but there's a couple beers that I would rather have out of a cup. And I don't even like, I don't want, I don't want like a gl frosty glass. I like a solo cup more than I like 
a frosty glass. I know it's odd. Uh, and probably the reddest thing. It might that might be the reddest thing I've ever admitted. Yeah, I've admitted a lot of redneck tendencies. That one's way up the line. I had a guy I used to travel with, and he would um he wouldn't drink it. He would order he'd order a beer, and then he would also order a glass of ice. And he wouldn't. It was like a chemistry experiment. Like he wouldn't order the glass of ice with the beer or the beer with ice in it. He would order the glass of ice and then the beer and then. With his hand, as the night would go on, he would keep throwing ice in there just because he liked to keep it cold. Do you guys put salt in your beer? No, that's no. don't ever ask that question again. No, my no. my dad no, does no. that. So, well, no. I, and I love your dad, but that's that's retracted from the record. Mister yeah. Rockhold will pray. Yeah, we'll pray for you. He's a good I mean, he's a good man, but that's weird. I've never understood it. Well, didn't ask him. You never will ask him. Uh, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. Somebody now, put, put it in my hot chocolate. On, one time. I mean beer. I've put salt on my napkin so that my beer doesn't stick to the napkin. Yeah, I, yeah, I do do that. But yeah, but I, I don't I, put I had salt somebody, in yeah, my beer. I like beer in my beer. Yeah, I, I had somebody put salt in my hot chocolate, and I was like, quit messing with my hot chocolate, and it actually was it was great. That sounds utterly disgusting. It's not. It's not. You don't. It's not. I'm not. You. You don't just dump the whole salt shaker in there. It's just a little shake. I was like, quit. Stop doing that. And it was actually really good. Chocolate milk. Well, I appreciate. I appreciate all the. Redneck Insight. We hope that you guys feel a little bit more intelligent than you did 20 minutes ago. If that's the case, then we win. Uh, we win the lottery. And, uh, McGee, brother, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out in the Marty party. Thanks to what was our guy's name from Canada that wore the chandelier? I honestly Nick don't remember. Or Noah or what was it? I think it was chandelier, eh? That guy. Yeah. Howdy, y'all. This is Nick from up in Canada. Nick. Right. Nick. There Nick. you go. All right, we appreciate Nick calling in from up there in the Great White North. Marty, what was the number? Uh, the number is 860-315-1615. Coming up on Friday is the Marty and McGee talking season uh, round two for on SEC Network, and it's the SEC East coaches this yeah. coming Friday. And Dan Mullen, the new head coach at the University of Florida, we get into an entire conversation with him about hold my beer, so y'all need to watch that. And one coach throws a curveball on the uh, cornbread and biscuits. Oh, of course. So again, McGee, thanks for hanging out, brother. Uh, Anytime. Redneck revival is real. Yep. Cooters are crowing. Travis, thanks for getting us all these awesome guests all the time. Uh, it matters. Uh, Louise, thanks so much for being crazy enough to let us have this platform. Thanks to you guys for taking the time to listen and make us part of your week. Thank you, Dollar Shave Club, for investing in this program, and thank you so much to our men and women in uniform who defend this country. America is the greatest country in the world, and we're blessed to live here. We'll see you all next week.